The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with upside risks. Markets are rattled as the minutes from the latest Fed meeting show. Officials are worried about inflation. The inflation fight is far from over. More rate hikes could be necessary unless conditions change. And reversing course. Shares of Cisco swing from a loss to a gain as the company's CEO tries to alleviate fears over slowing growth by highlighting how the tech giant can capitalize on the AI boom. And Walmart reports second quarter results just a few hours from now. The world's largest retailer may offer a glimpse into whether shoppers continue to buy essentials even as borrowing costs rise and inflation pinches their budgets. And China's property crisis, it deepens as another company with exposure to the sector misses payments, sparking fears among investors. The latest developments from Beijing straight ahead. And then later in the show, it's not just the cost of tuition that continues to go up every school year. Living off campus is creating sticker shock for both students and their parents. It is Thursday, August the 17th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. We're going to kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right here, you can see they are in the green across the boards, uh, fractionally higher for both the S&P and the Nasdaq. At this hour, the Dow would open up just about 40 points higher. Stocks closing lower yesterday with losses really picking up in the final hour of trading. That followed the release of the Fed minutes. They showed most Fed officials still see serious risk from inflation that may require more rate hikes in the future. The Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq posting back-to-back losses with the Nasdaq leading the declines down 1.2%. The S&P closing at its lowest level in more than a month. The move in stocks coming as Treasury yields. They really jumped. The 10-year yield hitting its highest level in 15 years while the two-year closes in on 5%. As you can see right now, the two-year at 4.97. The 10-year at 4.29. We're going to talk a lot more about that later in the show. We're also looking at the energy market, specifically oil. When it comes to WTI, the U.S. benchmark, it has fallen back below 80 bucks a barrel right now, fractionally higher. Brent crude at 83.60, also fractionally higher. No movement in the natural gas market. Well, the Fed minutes, they're also being felt in Europe and Asia today. Our Jemana Bersetchi, she's in our London newsroom with much more on the trading there. Jemana, I'm seeing a lot of red on that board. Yeah, well, you know what, Frank, there was a lot more red uh, up until a a couple of hours ago. So we've managed to recoup some of the losses. You can see actually behind me, the Shanghai Composite ended the session in the green, up four-tenths of a percent. And this after some comments came through from the Chinese Premier saying that the country will actually work to achieve that 5% GDP target for the rest of the year. So uh, more hopes of, of further stimulus to come. That sort of turned things around. The Hang Seng ending the day flat. Nikkei also in focus, bit of a down day for the Japanese index. We had some disappointing trade numbers. Exports for July falling 0.3% year-on-year. That's the first monthly decline 
since February 2021. So keeping a close eye on the trade situation, particularly with China. And then the Australian index also down about seven tenths of a percent as uh, commodities also in focus. But as for European markets, the picture is very negative across the board. Every single one of these bourses is trading in the red. FTSE 100 almost about to break through that 7,300 mark. So about three tenths of a percentage point weaker on the session today. BAE systems in focus, that company's down about 5% after uh, looking to make a bid for Balls Corporation in the U.S. So that has been one company we're watching in that index. Zetradax down two tenths of a percent. The industrials basket in, in Europe is the worst performing sector today. Kekaron's also down about two tenths of a percent. Some of the cyclicals coming under pressure. Uh, generally speaking, as the handover from the U.S. was pretty negative yesterday, that negativity continued into the European session. Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Jumana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom. So let's get more insight on what we really learned from those Fed minutes, the market reaction and the setup for today. Mark Anderson is the co-head of Asset Allocation and the chief investment office at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank. All right, so Mark, let's get into these Fed minutes. Uh, Higher for longer. That was really the takeaway from these Fed minutes. Very consistent with what Fed officials have been telling us all along. Why do you think we saw that sell off in the last hour of trading yesterday? Do you think it continues today? Very frankly speaking, uh, Frank, I don't think there was too much surprise in those Fed minutes yesterday. So we have three weeks of data that has come in since the Fed minutes were being written. We had a core CPI number that came in at 0.2 percent. The employment cost index suggesting that wages are, are coming down. So there shouldn't have been much surprise that the Fed is really talking about inflation risk still being there at that specific point in time. And I think some of that risk has been alleviating since. And they're talking a bit about a two-sided risk to the economy. So I think the market was sort of underrepresented in terms of the growth sensitivity that I think were in the minutes as well. But we as UBS are not surprised to see tech stocks being uh, selling off. They are very expensive at this point in time and obviously very rate sensitive at this very moment. Yeah, you know, you're touching on rates. I really want to talk to you about that. Um, Look at the 10-year yield hitting a pretty much a 15-year high. This morning, we were just talking about it. Here on CNBC, we've had a lot of technical analysts say that 4.25 percent, that was the area of resistance for the 10-year. We've obviously crossed that now. Where do you think it goes from here? How do you see it impacting other sectors beyond tech? Is there any sector that you think actually benefits from these rising yields? We do think there are sectors that are benefiting from these rising yields. But maybe let me first point on, on our outlook. So we do think that yields over the next six to 12 months are likely to come down. So, again, I think there is a growth sensitivity that's starting to come in with the Fed. We had Williams out in New York at Times the other day talking about sort of lowering interest rates as inflations are coming down and real rates are moving up. So I do think there is a sensitivity. I do think we're going to see Fed cuts next year that's going to bring the end of uh, the long end of the yield curve down. However, in terms of the sectors that you mentioned, I think something like financials is definitely underestimated. So uh, Eurozone uh, banks 40% up on earnings, clearly a big surprise at trading at price earnings ratio of six, seven times, and is representing sort of broader value in equity markets. So some of the equity markets that we call sort of the, the laggards that has great value and that are really doing well in times also when, when, when rates are, are relatively yeah. high. So, Mark, I think I want to put a finer point on that question about the 10-year. So um, 4.29, a 15-year high. I think a lot of people expected it to decline somewhat. But where do you see the area of support for the yields? Do you think it falls back below 4% or do you think it hovers somewhere around 4.2? We think it goes below 4% by the end of the year. And what I'd say is, so coming here from UBS Wealth Management, we'd say we have a lot of clients that are looking for long-term investment returns through generations. And when you're looking at 4.3% on the U.S. 10-year 
close to 6% of US investment grade, really already competing with what we think is long-term return on equities around 7% per annum, you're starting to get really good risk-adjusted returns. And a lot of our clients are starting to indicate they want to load up on, on bonds at these sort of levels. So we do find it relatively attractive and it feels okay. less of a gamble maybe than some of the expensive equity markets. All right. States. So you were talking about the Fed looking at inflation. One area they look at is the cost of energy. But right now, we're seeing WTI back below 80 bucks a barrel. You're actually bullish on oil. You think we're going to see record demand this month. We're already halfway through the month, and oil's falling on slower China growth. So what's the catalyst for record demand this month? That's, uh, that's right, Frank. So we are very bullish on, on oil. We actually, if anything, we just increased our forecast from $90 brand at the end of the year to 95 and we do think so the supply demand balances are, are moving our favor. So first and foremost, we have close to 103 million barrels uh, per day of oil demand. And that's a time where global supply is at a two year low from from OPEC, essentially ensuring that that uh, that the cuts are are staying in, in place from from their perspective. And that's essentially lifting prices because we see that inventories and all the different ways that we're measuring it is at very, very low level. So at some point we need to start to rebuild it. That'll bring back demand. China has been on the weaker side, but we have seen that the Politburo a few weeks ago has been indicating that growth will be stabilized. Okay. There's a certain sort of focus on that, and that will ultimately bring energy prices higher. So you have a lot of confidence that China is going to be the catalyst for, for the oil prices to spike and demand to hit a record this month. So we have more confidence in the global economy, which has been driven by a more resilient U.S. economy. But we'd also say we have faith in the Chinese economy delivering close to the 5% of the target. And as you mentioned just before in the in the show here, the premier was out indicating they want to do it. And in a more command-driven economy, we think they have all the tools to essentially do that. All right. Mark Anderson of UBS, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. All right. Turning now to one of your big money movers of the day. We're talking about Cisco Systems. Shares are moving higher after some big swings between losses and gains last night. You're seeing the chart. That red part's right after earnings. Cisco's fourth quarter results beat estimates, but the stock dropped as the company's revenue guidance for the fiscal year was a bit disappointing, raising some concerns about slowing growth. However, it all turned around as CEO Chuck Robbins talked up Cisco's market share wins and opportunities it has to be a leading supplier of networking gear for AI workloads. Let's bring in Matthew Nicknum, Director of Equity Research at Deutsche Bank. Matthew, good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, Frank. Great to be on. Thanks. All right. So we're just showing the chart. That red part was right after the numbers were released. Investors clearly did not like the full year guidance. But then on the call, you see the reversal moves pretty sharply up to the to the upside there. It was following when Cisco released their product order numbers on the call, uh, still down double digits year over year, but up sequentially. Is that a, a big enough deal in your mind to turn this entire stock around? Yeah, well, I'd say when you think about the down numbers, you're coming off of very, very difficult comparisons from a year ago. And I'd also say when you think about the seasonal and sequential moves, typically in their fiscal fourth quarter, you've got a company that grows product orders somewhere in the area of 18 to 20%. The growth this past quarter was up north of 30% sequentially. And I think amidst the backdrop of a choppy macro, lots of skittishness around customer demand. I thought it was a message of around resiliency and robust demand that I think helped really buck that trend in the stock aftermarket. All right, we we're just showing the chart. Just to be clear, it was down 23% the quarter before. Now it's down 14%. That's the 30% growth you're talking about. Still negative year over year, but sequential growth there. Um, also want to talk about where Cisco really showed a lot of strength. You just hit on it. That was networking system. Um, that's where Cisco gets about half of revenue. That's, that's routers, that's switchers, really their core business. Um, 8.125 billion compared to an estimate of 7.74 billion. 
What does that really tell you about the AI opportunities that Chuck Robbins has been talking about for a couple quarters now? Yeah, I'd say a lot of the near-term beat is really tied to some elevated backlog. Bear in mind, the company was taking pretty elevated orders for the better part of the last several quarters. There's supply chain issues. They're unable to ship out these switches and routers. And now you've got the supply chain easing, and there's a lot of elevated backlog that's being shipped. As it relates to AI, I did think it was pretty interesting to hear the company talk about $500 worth of orders they've taken to date on opportunities specific to AI. The issue I'd say for Cisco specifically is you're talking about a $55 billion business. So 500 million in orders, you're really scratching the surface. It's about a percentage point of revenue. It will take a little bit of time. I think it's a little closer to fiscal 25 before AI really starts to move the needle, but pretty promising data points to date. All right, Matthew, one more question for you. Cisco often seen as a read on global tech spending overall. The Q1 guidance, that was actually pretty interesting. Investors didn't really focus on that. Um, EPS better than expected, also gross margin better than expected. What insights does that give us on tech spending for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think in the interim, a lot of companies, including Cisco, are benefiting from that elevated backlog. You had a pretty resilient order trend for the better part of the last several years coming out of COVID. Now, as that backlog cushion begins to fade, I think there's some concerns around the back half of their fiscal year, the prospects of growth going negative. But at the very least, in the interim, order activity has been fairly resilient. And I think that speaks to some of the resilience in tech and IT spend we've seen thus far. All right, Matthew, Nick, I'm going in the weeds a little bit. The backlog, deferred revenue, I like it. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. All right, don't miss a first on CNBC interview with Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins. That's at 9 a.m. Eastern today. Uh, A lot of talk, I'm sure, about the quarter, also about AI. So it's coming up 9 a.m. on Squawk on the Street. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. And as authorities on the ground, they continue to assess the damage from the deadly wildfires in Maui, the top utility company on that island, reportedly looking at all of its legal and financial options. We have the details straight ahead. Anxious investors in China are questioning how much exposure they may have to the country's real estate crisis after another company misses payments. We have a live report from Beijing coming up. Plus, the seismic shift being felt in the trucking industry after one of the largest players we're talking about, Yellow, goes out of business. I talk with the CEOs of two trucking firms on how they're moving to fill that gap. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. 
Hey, Frank, good Thursday morning to you. Well, British defense group BAE Systems is buying Ball's Aerospace business for more than $5.5 billion. Ball Aerospace has more than 5,000 employees, with more than 60% of those holding U.S. security clearances. Its products include spacecraft mission, spacecraft mission payloads and antenna systems. Hawaiian Electric is reportedly exploring its legal and financial options with restructuring firms following the devastating wildfires in Maui. The Wall Street Journal reports lawsuits have been filed alleging the utility's actions contributed to the fires. More than 100 people have been killed with the death toll expected to rise. Earlier this week, S&P Global cut its rating on Hawaiian Electric's debt to double B minus and placed it on credit watch negative. A federal judge has rejected a proposed settlement in a class action lawsuit over the uh, the rash of thefts of Hyundai and Kia vehicles across the country. The judge says the settlement offers inadequate relief to vehicle owners. The proposed settlement is valued at around $200 million and covers approximately 9 million Hyundai and Kia vehicles made between 2011 and 2022 that don't include push button ignitions to prevent them from being stolen, Frank. Yeah, really a big issue here in the New York City Huge. area. Yeah, and you know, there was always, um, there was these TikTok videos all over the place showing people how to steal them. Really? Yeah. I didn't see, I, man, it got a lot Yeah, yeah. Um, but seriously, a, a big concern for people that Huge own concern. Kia's. Absolutely. Savannah, we will see you later on the show. See you later. All right, turn our attention now to China, where the country's economic woes are mounting due to the crisis in the property sector. The latest issue popping up this week is a leading trust firm with exposure to the sector, missed some payments, and now investors are becoming increasingly frustrated. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now with much more on this story. Eunice. Thanks, Frank. Well, I just came back from the Beijing office of that trust firm, and the company called Zhongrong has set up a registration desk there to appease some of the many investors who are showing up there demanding for their money back. In the past 24 hours, uh, the videos that purportedly show investors angry and visiting that office um, emerged as well as uh, as have been um, censored online. Uh, When we went there, uh, there were about a dozen investors who were very worried and, in fact, um, quite agitated about the situation. Uh, The staff told us that the uh, financial products, many of them are fine, they said, but that there are several others that won't be paid back because of what they said is the liquidity um, issues of some of the underlying investments. Now, in terms of those investments, uh, Zhongrong has uh, quite sizable exposure to the real estate industry, and that's one of the reasons why there's been greater concerns about a contagion effect. In fact, there were several hundreds of inquiries that were filed uh, to Shanghai-listed as well as Shenzhen-listed uh, companies about their exposure to not only Zhongrong, but also to uh, Country Garden, which, as you know, uh, Frank, is the real estate company that is now facing default and really rattling investors not only here but around the globe. Uh, we can see the, the investors are rattled right now. We're looking at some Chinese property stocks right now um, down between 3% to basically flat right now. So I think the question here is, are there any signs authorities are going to take any steps to alleviate and resolve this crisis? 
Well, the um, investors that we saw definitely want that to happen. Uh, there have been um, several reports now that some of these investors are considering taking their case to the financial regulators. And in fact, we went to visit the um, offices of the financial regulators and found that there was a very heavy police presence, uh, heavier than normal, around the uh, financial watchdog, uh, perhaps because of this concern. And also in terms of um, what actually has been said, the Chinese premier uh, yet again uh, pledged that China would reach its annual growth targets, but didn't really give any detail as to how that's going to be achieved. All right. Eunice Yoon live in Beijing. Eunice, thank you very much. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have this morning's big money movers, including one big bad stock that's plunging after posting a wider than expected loss and saying there's more to come. It's your mystery chart this morning. Much more Worldwide Exchange back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your big money movers. We're starting off with the synopsis. Those shares rising after the chip chip design company topped expectations and offered upbeat guidance due to an increase in semi-design starts and R&D investments. The company also says its founder and CEO will step down and become executive chair at the end of the year and will be replaced by the current chief operating officer. Shares of Wolf Speed plunging following a wider-than-expected Q4 loss, with the chip company forecasting more losses to come due to significant factory startup costs. Last month, Wolf Speed said its supply chains would not be impacted by Chinese, China's restriction of gallium. That's the metal used in its products as the company focuses on scaling materials and device capacity in fiscal 2024. All right, turning now to the transports, rivals of the now-bankrupt Yellow, Old Dominion and Saya, they continue to outperform the market and have made major gains since the bankruptcy of Yellow. I spoke with both CEOs yesterday at the Deutsche Bank Transportation Conference about the impact. The $5 billion in freight Yellow moved in 2022, now moving to other carriers in the less-than-truckload space, also known as LTL. That includes the largest LTL operator in the U.S., FedEx and XPO. Less-than-truckload is where multiple companies, they put shipments in the same truck. You can see the surge this quarter for names like XPO up 22%. Saya also up more than 20%. SIA issued a mid-quarter report this week with a 6% increase in July volume and a double-digit increase in volume month-to-date. Big surges from 2022 where we saw record volumes. SIA customers include Starbucks and Home Depot. CEO Fritz Holzgreff expects elevated volumes to continue through the holiday season. We saw mid-single-digit increases up to the disruption. So I would expect probably from there you'd see that going forward. What you're seeing right now is that redistribution across all the competitors in the marketplace. Um, And I think the efficient operator, the one that can absorb that capacity consistently, those are the ones that are going to be long-term beneficiaries of this. And nationally, we've seen a clear upswing in spot trucking rates in recent weeks since the first reports of troubles at Yellow. We also spoke with Old Dominion. That's the trucker for Tesla, Walmart, Amazon, and their suppliers. CEO Marty Freeman says we are exiting a freight recession. 
those suppliers are telling us that, uh, yeah, that, that uh, their inventory levels are getting low and, uh, and they hope to, to build those inventory levels back up to be ready for the Christmas season. So we're hearing positive things from them. We're also hearing positive things from Tesla. You know, they're, they're looking at uh, increasing their production. So I also spoke with those CEOs about diesel prices that have risen double digits over the past month. They expect this to be a tailwind for both their top line and their bottom line because of fuel surcharges for their customers that lead to some incremental profit. All right, still ahead, still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Airlines, bulldozers and shippers, oh my. The industrial sector has lagged the rest of the S&P 500 this year, but there's still opportunities for investors to find some upside. We're going to talk a lot about that when we come back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Looking for a bounce back. Futures are higher this morning following two straight days of losses for the major indexes. And Wall Street's hoping earnings from the biggest retailer and Dow component, Walmart, will help. We dig into what might help or hurt that company's results. And if you thought rents were cooling off, well, just ask a college student. It's Thursday, August 17th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. We're going to pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look right now, as you can see, pretty much where we were earlier this hour, uh, fractionally higher for the S&P and the Nasdaq. The Dow looks like it would open up just under 40 points higher. We're also looking at the bond market this morning after the 10-year hit a 15-year high yesterday. Right now, the 10-year at 4.29. We're also seeing the two-year note approach a 5% yield, something we'll continue to watch. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau, she is back with those. Silvana? Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, Paramount Global is reportedly abandoning plans to sell its majority stake in BET Media Group after concluding a sale wouldn't generate enough money to meaningfully deleverage its balance sheet. Now, that's according to the Wall Street Journal. BET, which includes VH1 and BET Cable Networks, has received bids for the stake ranging from $2 billion to $3 billion, with Shaquille O'Neal, 50 Cent, and Tyler Perry among the initial bidders. China's internet regulator is reportedly in talks with companies including Walmart and PayPal over Beijing's new data security rules as it looks to reassure global businesses about their ability to operate in the country. Bloomberg says officials from the Cyberspace Administration of China have met with dozens of international firms about the new regulations ahead of the November deadline, with talks ranging from creating a fast approval mechanism for transfers and developing a whitelist for data categories. And new numbers from Fidelity showing the amount of people with at least $1 million in their 401k accounts has grown by nearly 25% so far this year, putting those savers in the top 1.6% of all Fidelity accounts. Fidelity's vice president says the $1 million milestone remains a target for many workers in the U.S., but that many may need to save even more due to rising costs and stubbornly high inflation, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right, turn our attention now to retail. Walmart shares are getting a boost ahead of its second quarter results due out in just the next few hours. Wall Street saying staying generally more optimistic on Walmart compared to names like Target and Macy's. That's due to the discounters tilt towards selling grocery and food over discretionary items. Walmart also getting some fresh momentum from new revenue streams through its ad business. 
For more on what to expect this quarter, I'm joined by Corey Tarlow, Vice President in Equity Research at Jefferies. Corey, great to have you here, especially here in the studio. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so we're going to dig into this one. So Walmart hit a 52-week high just a couple days ago, still trading right around that 52-week high, and you are very bullish on the stock. So I want to ask you, give us your, your rating, your price target. Also, what's leading you to have a really bullish take or estimate on same-store sales that's so much higher than consensus? You're at 6.4%. The street's at 4.6%. Now, that's a big difference for the world's largest retailer. Yeah, so we're buy rated and we see substantial upside from $160 today. Um, we think it could be 190 or upside cases over $200. And, and we see really significant upside for three main reasons. And as we head into the quarter, I'd say that as we focus on same store sales, as you mentioned, two on margin and then three on the outlook, all are relatively bullish. So first on same store sales, you mentioned that we're at 6.4%. That's versus the street of around 3.7%. And what we did was we took a look at some alternative data sets that give us some really actionable insight into um, traffic, into basket size and composition, and to web data, and all informed with a 90% correlation around what should be a 6-plus percent same-store sales metric driving outsized top-line sales for the business into the quarter. All right, I want to go back to your price target. That's a 19% upside. That's your base case, So you, possibly even more, but a 19% upside from here. We keep talking about the stretch consumer. Um, a big part of Walmart's business is the grocery business. So we have stretch consumers. We know they're going to spend more on grocery, but what are the other catalysts that are going to increase revenue, increase EPS, that's going to push this stock that much higher? Well, number one, you have a stretch consumer that's trading down into private label. And that private label business for Walmart U.S. is a little over 20% of the enterprise sales for Walmart U.S. specifically now. And that's growing at an expanding rate. Um, and that's also higher margin, too. So it should help to drive and enhance profitability ahead. And then you also have the scaling of higher margin revenue streams like Walmart Plus or advertising that flow almost essentially directly to the bottom line and should drive outsized profitability ahead as we think about Walmart climbing from a 4% operating margin today to 5% over time. All right, so how will this report? You mentioned that this is a, it's a discounter. It sells at a price, uh, really competes on price. How does this report compare to what we saw or what do you think it will compare to what we saw from Target? Well, I think to juxtapose the two, uh, very simply, Target posted comp sales declines in the second quarter in the mid-single digits, whereas Walmart, I think you're likely to see comp sales up in the mid-single digits um, with, instead of a downwardly revised outlook, an upwardly revised outlook at Walmart today. All right, so you, you touched on this just a minute ago, but some of the, the tech when it comes to Walmart, uh, technically Walmart plus a marketplace business is tech, mm -hmm. um, very similar to Amazon, where they not only sell their goods, they sell other people's goods. Talk to us about the tech influence on Walmart going forward and also AI. Um, a lot of people think that AI will actually help that uh, Walmart Plus business because it'll help them source products in the right places and also predict what consumers want. Absolutely. So uh, I think artificial intelligence is really going to help buoy better margins and more predictable sales for Walmart's e-commerce business going forward. And one thing as it relates to technology where I see substantial upside is that actually as it relates to automation in the distribution centers. And that over time, over the next three years should help to reduce automation and fulfillment costs by up to 20 percent. All right. So shares are moving higher right now before the report. Um, you're very bullish on the stock. What's something maybe under the radar that investors haven't been paying attention to, but they should and should look for in this report? Well, one of the things that I think that's important to key in on is especially after what was a very robust 
Amazon Prime Day is Walmart Plus Week and the opportunity for e-commerce specifically to drive upside to sales into this quarter. So for example, we took a look at app data, as I mentioned earlier, that looked at Walmart app usage throughout the Walmart Plus Week. And what we saw was that Walmart's e-commerce business was up around 30% over that period. Really? And the business's run rating at a 30% growth rate. And mind you, this business was $8 billion not too long ago in 2015, and now it's $80 billion today. So it's 10x in eight years. All right, certainly a lot to watch. Walmart shares up almost 1% ahead of the report. And coming up here on CNBC, you don't want to miss CNBC's exclusive interview with Walmart CFO John David Rainey. That's 11.30 a.m. Eastern today. Corey, it was great to have you here. Thank I saw you working both cameras, man. You're doing it like a pro. <laughs> great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Turning our attention now to sectornomics. From airline and freight giants to defense contractors and heavy equipment makers, the industrials universe is home to really a wide range of stocks. Our Dom Chu is taking a look under the hood for this month's sectornomics. Dom, good morning. Cyclical, Frank, right? Economically sensitive. And many of these names that we're going to talk about have been beneficiaries of a broader economic narrative that's shifting away from recession and more towards, forget about a soft landing, maybe even some growth, at least according to some forecasts. Now, if you look at the industrial sector overall versus the S&P 500, the white line, the S&P 500, the industrials, though, the orange line, an underperformer so far. It was fairly close for the beginning of the year, and it's widened out a little bit more since just about the spring, about April, May or so. So keep an eye on what that, that underperformance is going to be something to keep an eye on. As for where we have seen the driving side of things to the upside, we have seen names like General Electric really do some of the heavy lifting here. You can see GE up 75% on a year-to-day basis, the single best-performing industrial stock in the entire S&P 500, versus you got FedEx on the transportation and logistics side of things up 53%, and then Pentair up 53% as well. So some of the bigger outperformers. With regard to some of the laggards, they are some of the outperformers that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years, many of them defense contracting names, like Northrop Grumman, which is down 22%. 3M, though, is down 16% on the diversified side of things, and Norfolk Southern, also in transportation, down about 15% as well. So the narrative is very interesting right now, Frank, with regard to where we are seeing some of that out and underperformance. It's not necessarily thematic to one industry group specifically, although I will say that defense contractors have been real laggards so far this year, Frank. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you very much. Our Dom Chu with Sectornomics. All right, just ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, parents, listen up. If you think your rent is too high, wait until you get a look at the bill for your kid's off-campus apartment. Our own Diana Olick joins us now with a dive into this still red-hot part of the housing market. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Summer vacation is wrapping up, but it's time for the kids to head back to college. But that has both students and their parents holding on to their wallets, especially when it comes to off-campus housing. Like so much of the U.S. housing market, it's getting even pricier. Our Diana Olick joins us now with much more on this story. Diana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, apartment rents overall are actually cooling off a tiny bit, but one type of apartment is doing just the opposite, and that's off-campus student housing apartments. Not dorms, but apartments built specifically for students by developers like American Campus Communities, Graystar, and Landmark. Student housing rent growth, depending on the region of the country, is anywhere from two to ten times multifamily rent growth, and that's according to CBRE. 
up from 7% year over year in the Northeast to nearly 13% in the Southwest. The CEO of Landmark says it's all about supply and demand. If you look at the, the top 200 or so universities in the country, which are the universities in which we target, you know, you've seen very stable enrollment growth. At the same time, there's only a limited amount of land that's close to these universities that can be developed. So there are significant barriers to entry. And the net result of this has been very consistent and stable cash flows over a long period of time. One more barrier to entry right now, of course, is the cost of capital. Now, for investors looking to get in on the growth, there are no longer any publicly traded student housing REITs. American Campus was acquired by Blackstone last year, but both Landmark and ACC are part of BREIT, which is Blackstone's non-listed REIT. Frank? Yeah, I mean, very interesting that off-campus housing is becoming more expensive, Diana. So when I went to college, it was pretty basic. Uh, Off-campus housing was just, you know, a house or something that somebody converted. Now it seems like it's more amenity-based. And honestly, it's just a lot nicer. Is that a factor in the rents being higher? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these off-campus housing buildings have, you know, infinity pools and they have latte bars in the in the lobbies and they have all kinds of, you know, granite countertops in the kitchen and flat screen TVs. I know this because my son was in one. <laughs> so that's why you're paying the pricier thing. But, you know, the kids want it. They're very close to campus. They get all these amenities and they get to be right where they want. And if the parents can afford it, then they'll do it. And, you know, as the Landmark CEO said, these buildings are for, you know, people who can pay for them. They are on the wealthier side of things for housing. But again, the prices continue to go up. There's just how much people can pay. Yeah, absolutely. My cousin went to school down south. They had a lazy river on campus, Diana. So I think you got to pay. Yeah, (laughs) I had a cinder block dorm. So (laughs) Diana Olick, always great to see you. Great reporting as always. Thank you. All right, time now for your morning call sheet. Uh, we begin Oppenheimer, the latest firm to weigh in on NVIDIA ahead of its earnings next uh, earnings report next week. The firm reiterating its outperform rating and raising its price target to five hundred dollars uh, from four twenty. While supply is a curb on near term growth, Oppenheimer says NVIDIA is benefiting from broad and robust AI demand. We're going to talk a lot about AI uh, throughout this uh, entire year. Shares of NVIDIA up almost one percent. All right, City remaining positive on Apple going into the expected launch of the iPhone 15 next month. Recent checks on the supply point to the potential for a strong replacement cycle. City also believes there's plenty of excitement around faster charging features in the iPhone 15. They got to add something there. Apple shares basically flat right now in the pre-market. All right, time now for your global briefing. We begin this morning with South Korea's president getting set to leave for the U.S. to attend a trilateral summit with President Biden and Japan's prime minister to discuss security measures for North Korea's growing nuclear threat. The summit will be held at the Camp David presidential retreat in Maryland tomorrow. and marks the first time the three countries will meet for a standalone summit. And Japan posting its first monthly decline in exports in more than two years due to weaker demand from China. It's, that's the country's biggest trading partner as well as the rest of Asia. Exports to Asia plunging nearly 37 percent in July and exports to China falling more than 13 percent, marking the eighth consecutive monthly decline. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to consider today. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify and other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, taking a live look all around the world right now. You see the sun is still 
Just about to come up here in the New York City area, London, a really beautiful day underway there. Looking down there at Washington, D.C., a live look at the Capitol again. The sun not up just yet. Congress not back in session just yet. And Hong Kong, the end of the day there. All right, time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with one of our big money movers, Cisco Shares. They're moving higher despite disappointing revenue guidance for the fiscal year. The company says it's poised to gain more market share and is confident in its ability to capitalize on future AI opportunities. Shares of Wolf Speed plunging following a wider-than-expected Q4 loss with the chip company forecasting more losses to come due to significant factory startup cost. Lenovo Shares also dipping after posting a 24% drop in revenue due to an ongoing slump in global demand for PCs. The results mark the fourth consecutive quarter of sales declines and the comms after the company reported an annual decline last year, its first annual decline since 2019. Hawaiian Electric is reportedly exploring its legal and financial options with restructuring firms following the devastating wildfires in Maui. The Wall Street Journal says lawsuits have been filed alleging the utilities' actions contributed to those fires. And head of earnings, Walmart announcing it's promoting the CEO of its Sam's Club unit to run Walmart's international business following the retirement of company veteran Judith McKenna. Here's what to watch today. Weekly jobless claims are out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, along with the July Philly Fed Manufacturing Survey. Then at 10 a.m., the conference board releases the monthly index of leading indicators. Walmart reports earnings before the opening bell, along with Tapestry, the parent company of Coach and Kate Spade. And then after the close, we hear from Applied Materials and discount retailer Raw Stores. Major indices posting more losses yesterday with the S&P 500 now on pace for its third negative week in a row. My next guest says markets are in a consolidation phase. Joining me now is Keith Lerner, co-CIO at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, good morning. Great to have you here. Hey, Frank. Great to be with you today. All right. So let's touch back on the sell-off that we saw in the last hour of trading yesterday came after the Fed minutes. The message was higher for longer. Same thing that Fed officials have been telling us for quite some time. Are you surprised at the sell-off yesterday? Do you think it continues into today? Well, Frank, you know, we're not surprised by the market selling off. We came into August, as you mentioned, thinking that the market was going to consolidate, chop around, and probably correct in time and price. We all know we're in a seasonally weak period, and that's after a big move up in the uh, in the. Uh, First half. Now, I think with pressing against the market right now, it's going to cap the upside. It's all about yields right now. As you mentioned earlier in the show, the 10-year now is, is, is broaching above the highs from last year. So that's going to just cap any upside that we see in the market. All right. So you don't see a lot of upside. You're saying that yields what it's all about. So with that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? Okay, Frank, the, the word of the day is a nod back to Guns N' Roses, a song from about 35 years ago, which is Patience. And we think that right now investors are going to need a little bit of patience. We had that big run up that I mentioned. And when you look at the seasonal trends, August, September tends to be choppier markets before some better action into the year end. And I think it's normal. It's typically two steps forward, one step back. But we need a little bit of patience near term to get through this choppy uh, season that we're in. Guns and Roses reference. That's interesting. When you said patience and you were doing a musical one, I thought it might be a different band. But that's very interesting. I didn't know you were a hard rock guy. So... <laughs> Um, if, if we require patience right now and you think that we're also seeing consolidation, there has to be some sector that really benefits, uh, possibly this week with the yield hitting a 15-year high. What sector would you advise your clients to at least look at to put money into specifically today? Well, we would use these pullbacks that we're seeing to, to, to increase uh, industrials, which is our longer-term positive sector that we think has a lot of secular tailwinds. 
When we think about defense spending going up, we think about a lot of these stimulus bills um, that are still working away as far as the infrastructure bill, um, the IRA bill, and so forth. So we think there's some secular tailwinds. So along with the overall market, we would expect industrials to continue to kind of come, come, come in somewhat. But for longer term investors, we think that's an opportunity. And Frank, maybe something else to mention, it's not just what you own. As rates are moving higher, it's probably also what you should be somewhat wary of. And one thing that we're still on the wait that we're more negative about, which is affected by these higher rates, is the real estate market. Really? You know, you're hitting on two things we talked about earlier in the show, Keith. It's like you've been watching the whole hour. Um, what is it about the real estate market that has you concerned with rates going higher? And when you say concern, does that mean you'd be a seller today if possible? Yeah, well, Frank, I always watch your show. Um, but you know, we've been on the way to real estate for most of this year. Obviously, as there's kind of this refinancing on, on debt, those yields are going to put downward pressure. So we saw the real estate market uh, or the, um, in, the, in the market start to stabilize the last few months. These higher rates, I think, will put renewed pressure on that area. And then um, outside of real estate, if you think about it, you've also seen the U.S. dollar move up. Uh, I think another headline you had today is China. We've been negative on emerging markets uh, for some time. We were basically went to zero allocation in our global asset allocation last year. And we still think that, that that's going to be under continued pressure. And we would use any rallies in those markets to, to stay underweight. All right, so Keith, you're talking a lot about equities, but before you're saying it's all about yields, we're looking at the two-year as well, yield almost at 5%. So is this changing your thought about when it comes to fixed income strategy? Would you advise clients to put more money in a fixed income right now to really take advantage of that higher yield on the shorter end of the curve? Yeah, we, we like the barbell strategy, meaning we like that short end of the curve where we're getting 5%. And, you know, there's a lot of momentum in that 10-year breaking above this high, so you don't want to be too aggressive. But as yields continue to move up, um, we do think that there's some some value in, in longer-term bonds, say, you know, out to about 10 years. Because even if yields continue to go up, because of that coupon that you're getting, right, that income coming in, it will offset any price losses up to about 475, 480 on the 10-year. All right. One more thing to ask you about very quickly. Walmart reports coming up after the bell. Um, generally seen as a bellwether of retail. How do you think this is going to instruct how you tell your clients to invest in retail going forward, this print? Yeah, listen, I, I think, you know, retail, um, Walmart does do a, lot, a decent amount of um, selling to, um, you know, for essential goods. So I, I think overall that they'll probably have a, 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 you know, the story will be fine about what they're seeing in, in the trends. It's not going to really change our view per se, but I, I will say the discretionary sector is something that we're overweight, not just because of, you know, some of the underperformance in retail, but they also have a lot of these big growth names in there as well. So we think that overall sector does fine. All right. Keith Lerner of Truist, great to have you here as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. All right. Before I let you all go, we're going to take one more look at the futures right now. Take a look at futures. We're seeing the Dow trade pretty close to its highs of the morning right now, um, up just about 70 points. The S&P up fractionally up about uh, 0.15%. Same story for the NASDAQ right now. Um, we also want to look at the bond market. As we mentioned, the 10-year hit a 15-year high yesterday. Right now, looking at the benchmark 10-year at 4.29. Also watching the two-year. That yield just about at 5%. And our big money mover this morning, Cisco, those shares moving higher in the pre-market. Um, right now, Cisco shares up almost 3%. Big reversal after the earnings report dipped into negative territory. And then on the call, CEO Chuck Robbins talked about AI opportunities. And also, they released their number on product orders. Um, the downward trend reversing a bit, still down year over year, but improving sequentially. We saw that turnaround in that stock. Again, Cisco shares up almost 3%. That's going to do it for Worldwide Exchange. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.